This is Hemet. And Jessica. And you're listening to the Friendly Atheist Podcast. Please go to patreon.com slash friendly atheist podcast. And as I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted, uh, we should just do another hour on Jerry Falwell because I'm sure there's enough material. Counter offer. I found a uh, a website called christianmomthoughts.com and there is a article called How to Explain to Your Kids Why Social Justice Warriors Hate Christians So Much. Um, so I just thought maybe I could do a dramatic reading of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll veto that too. Cause that sounds like it'll go on forever and infuriate me. <laughs> uh, well, I was debating where to start and here's, here's where I think, uh, we should start because last Sunday there was a pastor named John MacArthur, who I think we've talked about a few times on this podcast. Cause he, uh, he's been holding church in California, Grace Community Church, in-person megachurch services, and totally rejects protective measures. So like a couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. uh, defying local government like regulations, they all met up in his church and he says to the crowd, the good news is you're here, you're not distancing, and you're not wearing masks. Yeah. Creepy ass smile on his face. Mm. That was weeks ago. And That's then, the other benefit of masks is that if he was wearing one, we couldn't see his creepy smile. That too. And then last week, and I know it's like last Sunday and that's a year ago, but like, here's what he did last week. I'm going to read you how he opened up his service because he's trying to tell his congregation that all the decisions he's made are the right ones. Sure. And here's how he did it. And then I saw right-wing media run with it. I don't want to offer myself as any kind of expert, but a rather telling report came out this week, and for the first time, we heard the truth. The CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, which is the national organization, government organization, that is to report to us truth about disease, said that, in truth, 6% of the deaths that have occurred can Mm -hmm. be directly attributable to COVID. 94% cannot. Of the 160,000 people that have died, 9,210 actually died from COVID. There is no pandemic. And then the audience cheered. I mean, I would argue 10,000 people is still a lot of people to have died, but... Well, no, they're pro-life. Under under yeah. 100,000 does not matter. So this guy's telling them there's no pandemic because only 6% of people actually died of COVID. I saw Jenna Ellis, who is Trump's, like one of Trump's many lawyers, who is also mm-hmm. John MacArthur's lawyer for all the church battle with the government. She spread the same misinformation on social media, other websites, did too. I'm, I'm sure the Trump people did as well at some point, but so I was trying to like, see what on earth is he actually talking about? (laughs) And here's what he's talking about. The CDC, which has been politicized in a lot of ways, but this particular piece of information doesn't seem like it has some agenda or something or however they posted it. Mm -hmm. The CDC basically released a set of numbers saying, here's all the, the people who have died from COVID. And in one of the sections of the report, they listed something called comorbidities, which is basically when you got sick, Mm -hmm. did you have any other conditions that we ought to know about? So, for Mm -hmm. example, if you look at their list, 
it says, I think at the time, let me see if I can pull this up. It said like 160,000 people had been struggling. I'm sorry, what did they say? According to the data I'm looking at right now, this is a little more updated, 169,000 people have died of COVID, according to their numbers, which are debatable. It says within that group, like 71,700 had influenza and pneumonia, like one or the other. Mm-hmm. And this is an example of the 94% MacArthur is talking about. He's saying these people didn't really die of COVID. They died of pneumonia, something like that. <laughs> but that's a stupid thing to say because, like, why do they even list comorbidities? Because, look, if you're a young, healthy person and you get COVID, like, that you're probably going to be okay. But we know by now, I think everyone knows, like, if you're older you have a harder time dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Here's what's important to remember. Like in normal times, if you have pneumonia, if you have diabetes or some heart condition, you probably wouldn't die because there are good ways to help you stay alive. We Mm -hmm. know how to help people survive with that stuff. But if patients had pneumonia and caught COVID, many of them died. Um, or to put that another way, if they only had pneumonia, they would still be alive today. But because they also got COVID, they are not. That's what that data is saying. Yeah, I saw it put really well uh, by a doctor on on Twitter. So take that for what it's worth. When she said, um, "I'm I have type one diabetes. I am diabetic. It's managed. I'm very healthy. If I go running and I get attacked by a bear." The bear has killed me. The diabetes has not. Like, right. I still had comorbidity. Right. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, it is very much people who have a lack of understanding of, of medical terminology, which I don't profess to have a ton of. That's exactly the thing. If you don't understand comorbidities, if you don't understand why the CDC puts up this information or how to interpret a very dense chart, mm-hmm. that's fine. It's not John MacArthur's job to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not like random people's job to be able to interpret it. It's the job of that doctor who you're referring to, right. who's supposed to be able to make sense of it. Right. And yet, what MacArthur did is say, you know what, I'm not an expert here, but I'm going to, he literally said, I don't want to offer myself as any kind of expert, but, But. and then he went on to interpret wrongly and falsely and dangerously this chart that he couldn't make sense of because numbers and words are not good for him. And in doing so, he basically told a bunch of old people, there's no pandemic, you're fine. Like, <laughs> that's the thing that is so infuriating here. I, I noted this on Twitter, too, because, like, if you saw Trump's rally, wherever it was yesterday, they posted a picture um, of the people coming to see him give a speech in, like, North Carolina or something. And mm-hmm. it's just a crowd of people near an airport hangar. And it's a huge crowd, relatively speaking, but they're all just packed close together. No masks, nothing like that. And pretending there's no pandemic doesn't make the virus go away. And again, all of, there are people who have canceled weddings, who mm-hmm. haven't gone to funerals, who mm-hmm. haven't seen their friends in forever, who mm-hmm. can't go to school mm-hmm. because they understand, oh, this is how we have to deal with this shit now. Like, this is the sacrifice everyone has to make. And yet these people, this church, the Trump people, 
are just acting like, nope, doesn't exist. We'll just keep going on as scheduled. And they're prolonging the suffering we are all going through right now. Yeah, I mean, I think I have definitely come to terms with the fact that I, my life will never go back to normal until there is a vaccine. Like, that is just sort of how I'm, like, I'm hunkered down for the long haul, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's ironic that the people who believe in God are very adamantly saying there is no vex, there is no pandemic. Like we have proof of the pandemic. What are but, you talking about? But also, like, don't they have a bunch of examples of plagues and such in their Bible? <laughs> so it's not like they don't believe that plagues are a thing. They just don't believe in this particular one. MacArthur has said repeatedly. There is no one at his, there's no outbreak at his church. Like no one has caught COVID in my church, but I don't believe he tests anybody. I was just like, about to say, yeah, well. I don't think he would know. And again, what's scary is the idea that if someone has the virus, it's not going to go from one member to two members. It'll go from like one member to a gajillion members mm-hmm. uh, with the virus, like in a heartbeat, because they yeah. all just jam pack like sardines into this church right oh, oh boy this is the guy that's still fighting i've seen one thing like los angeles i think he's in los angeles county or something like where he is holding his church services they've tried to be nice and say no you can't have your church here's your warning don't meet just do it online do what everyone else does the one thing they've done like a, a drastic step is they said wait a minute where do all these people in your mega church park And it turns out the church has a lease with the city. They rent out space nearby, like a public parking lot. And I think it's like $100,000 a year to rent out this giant parking lot. The city said, oh, guess what? We're breaking the lease. We don't want your $100,000 and you Mm -hmm. can't park here anymore. So your mega church members will have a much harder time getting to church. I mean, good. That's one way of fighting this battle, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's absurd that this is what conservative Christians are promoting and we're all going to struggle because of his selfishness. Yeah, this sucks, but, uh, oh, we didn't talk about this. I don't think last week because we were fixated on the Falwell thing. Don't say we, it was you. It was me. So do you remember last week during the RNC Trump gave his speech on a Thursday night. And after that speech was done, all those Christians, a lot of Christians were in the audience watching him give the speech because they all posted about it on their social media. Like, yes, the president invited me to this speech. And personally. I, yeah, me personally. They leave the White House. They go on the streets of D.C. and do whatever it is they do. Well, someone posted on social media picked a, a video And basically, here's what the video showed. There was a protester in that area where everyone was walking out of the White House. So he's in public space. And the protester is on his bike. Mm -hmm. And basically saying, like, fuck Trump. Some version of that. I'm happy with that message. Yeah. Not to anyone in in particular. Just kind of screaming it. And then you see a random dude coming up to him on the bike, sucker punching him out of nowhere. Oh, fuck. And the guy, like, 
he had to catch his balance on the bike, gets back on it. But basically he starts running after the guy who just punched him, Mm -hmm. not in retaliation, but like, dude, what the hell are you doing to me? Mm -hmm. And you see in the video, the guy who punched him just start prancing backwards. Like he's uh, running, but in uh, push rewind on the video, you know what I mean? He's running backwards like that. And you hear someone scream, Eric, like Eric, how could you punch that man? Uh Uh-huh. And every the like once that video got out, they're like, "Who is this guy?" Because the guy who got punched said, "I think a senator just punched me." No, because he was dressed up in a suit. He was clearly at the White House, and it turns out it was not a senator. Oh, but it was Eric Metaxas, a Christian right activist. Really who has said things like he's basically one of those far right, like Jesus has to be white sort of people. Sure, sure, sure. And it was funny because how do you identify who this guy is? Well, you had a woman screaming, Eric, there's a picture of Eric at the white house wearing the exact same, very unique pink shirt with a very colored suit jacket and buttons. (laughs) And you can identify that in the punch video. Um, and, like, how many people are prancing around like that, walking backwards with the woman screaming, Eric, wearing that suit? Like, either it's Eric Metaxas or it's his, like, way more evil twin. <laughs> <laughs> and, by the way, he didn't say anything for, like, a day or two, which is also for this guy who has, an op- of this. who has an opinion about everything. He said sure. nothing about it. It's like, all right, it's definitely him now. <laughs> <laughs> And I think the only update I've seen is he told, uh, like, one of his buddies said, yeah, that was him, and he should have done it. Like, oh. they're just defending, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, that's not the exact quote, but they're just defending it. They didn't say, well, that was, that was wrong of him to do. Mm-hmm. Eric Metaxas should be arrested for assaulting so- No, 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 no. It's just, well, he was provoked. It's like, I saw the video. The guy screaming out of nowhere to no one. Yeah. And the Texas just runs up to him and punches him out of nowhere. Oh my God. I don't know what's going to happen. The, the, the victim of that assault said, like, suing people isn't really his thing. Like, and it's like, well, if the victim doesn't want to press charges, then nothing's going to happen. Sure. Which is fine. That's his decision. But also that means Eric Metaxas will just write this off and just be like, well, I'm scot-free again. Nothing's yeah, Jesus rescued me. me or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's like turn the other cheek has no value in this Mm-mm. guy's world. Mm-mm. Do you want to talk about Ark Encounter? Yeah, you do. Oh, you do. God, I sort of fucking God, if you bring up tax breaks, I'm leaving. Let me tell you about their tax break. No. <laughs> Uh, this is an update that I didn't think was coming, but I'm very excited to tell you about this. Okay. So do you remember about a year ago, uh, Ark Encounter decided to sue their insurance providers? Was that a year ago? <laughs> that was over a year ago. God, yeah. Almost exactly that. a year ago. But basically, uh, uh, you know, a little over a year ago, I lied. Uh, like May of 2019. But basically what happened is there was a heavy rainfall mm-hmm. and one of the access roads, like on the side that people don't walk on, but it's an access road for equipment, delivery stuff to the Ark. It got so damaged that like they had no choice but to rebuild that road Mm -hmm. and it cost a lot of money because it's kind of on a hill it's like not on a cliff that's not the right word but you do have to prop it back up because that Mm -hmm. road is important so holler (laughs) the question is who pays for all that 
material who pays for those damages mm-hmm. and arc encounter said this was the problem with the architects who built arc encounter they did a crappy job of it and okay. the architects who built arc encounter are like that tr- that road has nothing to do with us and like that's on your end that wasn't our fault we had nothing to do with that and so arc encounter sued their insurance providers for not covering rain damage which is so brilliantly ironic that <laughs> Ark Encounter couldn't deal with the rain. Yep. So this is what happened. Uh, the rain actually happened in May of 2017, but last year is when they filed the lawsuit. What they said is that the rain created a landslide that damaged a major access road, making it unsafe and unfit. It cost Ark Encounter's parent company, which is named Crosswater Canyon, about a million dollars to fix the road. Jesus. And what the insurance provider said is the contract excluded payments for correcting design deficiencies or faulty workmanship. Like, we don't have to pay for that. And Ark Encounter said, no, nah, it doesn't apply here because land improvements were an exception to that rule. And this is land. Anyway, that's the legal back and forth here. And the judge was kind of going back and forth over like, well, who are we suing? Because there are different insurance providers for Ark okay. Encounter. And they're going back and forth on this forever. So I've been following this lawsuit forever. <laughs> um, and I've been trying to figure out, like, what the hell's going on? Because they're no longer talking about the road. They're not talking about the rain. They're talking about who should be sued, who's, like, liable for any damages or all uh-huh. that. And then out of nowhere, last week, they announced we're settling the case. Oh. Both sides are just going to settle it. And they haven't announced what that settlement is. It's not even clear it's going to be a public settlement. But basically, both sides are saying, you know what? We're not going to fight this anymore. And we'll we'll deal with it ourselves. And courts can go away. No damage. And that's kind of the end of it. And it makes me very sad because I was seriously (laughs) hoping that Ark Encounter would have to pay for rain damage after all this. I'm so curious to know what happens that's a million dollars of damage does arc encounter pay it does the insurance company pay it and the sad answer is we don't know okay legally speaking they have to submit the terms of the settlement to the courts uh and they haven't done that yet they have a couple more weeks but my i it looks like it's going to be a private settlement it makes me sad mm, i'm sorry Hammond. it was it was all i had going into 2020 and now it's over sorry bud I that's know. rough you must be having a uh, tough week. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Liberty University. We do have to follow up on one aspect of it that we didn't talk about, but it doesn't have to do with Jerry Falwell Jr. per se. Uh, so he got, last time we talked about it, I think he had been fired. Okay. Um, and the school was trying to figure out how the hell to move forward. They're going to find a new leader, whatever. Right. At the, like a few days ago, the board of directors at Liberty University, their executive committee, they said, I'm going to quote this. Uh, This is how they're moving forward. Quote, one of the leading forensic firms in the world has been retained by Liberty University's board of trustees to conduct a thorough investigation into all facets of Liberty University operations during Jerry Falwell Jr.'s tenure as president, including, but not limited to, financial, real estate, and legal matters. So basically, they're hiring an 
supposedly independent company to uh-huh. come in and say, just look at everything Jerry Falwell did report back to us what, what you discover that he did regarding everything, whether it was legal, illegal, like we need to know what all went down. Right. And that sounds nice. That sounds like a reasonable next step within a post Falwell Liberty. I, here's the questions that I'm trying to figure out that I haven't found answers to yet. One is, it's fine that you need to hire an investigator to look into all this. But also, why did the board of trustees apparently have very little insight into what Jerry Falwell did financially with real estate legally on behalf of Liberty University? Like, they should have known that. This isn't about his sex life. This isn't about what he does in his personal time. This is what he did as president of the school. And apparently they're like, we need big time investigators hmm. to figure this out. That's troubling by itself. Um, Notice that they didn't name the leading forensic firms that has been retained. I don't know why not. Hmm. Because the fear is that they're going to hire like the Christian investigators, which is what churches do all the time now when like their pastor gets accused of sexual assault or something like that. They're like, we hired a faith-based investigative firm. And of course, there's like, all these stories are like, well, the church has ties to the investigator. And so there's an incentive for them to come back and say, no, the pastor didn't really do anything wrong. I'm not saying that's what Liberty University is doing, but like, tell us who the investigator is. Tell us that they're independent. And they didn't do that. And they also didn't say how this stuff would be reported. But what motivation do they have to bring in an an independent investigator? Like, People who care about that kind of thing aren't the ones who have any stake in Liberty University. And, like, they're not trying to impress you and me. Like, I'm, I'm not surprised, I guess, is what I'm saying. Here's what I think the incentive could be for them. They have a shitty reputation right now that only seems to be getting worse every time Falwell speaks. Um, And every time this stuff breaks in the news. And I feel like we still haven't heard, like, the final shoe to drop in the Falwell story. Uh Uh-huh. I think it's to their advantage to be able to go to the public and say, look, yeah, we had a crappy president who did a lot of stuff we're embarrassed by, but the rest of us, we are all totally clean. That's been independently confirmed. Anything that was a problem we fixed. So bring your kids, bring your wives, whatever it is. Like you can all come back here. It'll be fine. Here's here's a way they could do this. That they have not. And I I can't believe I'm saying this, but they should take a hint from the Hobby Lobby people. Um, (laughs) And we talked about this before, but like Hobby Lobby, the owners, the the Christian family that owns Hobby Lobby also owns the Museum of the Bible. Uh And the Museum of the Bible has been in the news for a while because it turns out like all these exhibits in the Bible are forgeries. And they just bought them all. They're like, you have a scroll written by Jesus? All right. Here's (laughs) a million dollars for it. I'm going to do no additional research. No research. And so, like, it becomes almost comical when, like, the Washington Post says they bought 15 scrolls. All 15 are fake. (laughs) That's, I, I think there was a headline that's quite literally like that. So, anyway, here's what they did that was good. Here's what they did that was good. They did, after these stories just came out and came out and came out, they hired an independent investigator. And here's what they did that I like. They hired an independent investigator who has an expertise in fraud. 
She has no connection to the museum. And she said, I'm only going to work for you. I'm only going to take your money and do this research on all the other stuff you own on three conditions. Condition one, museum officials do not get any input into my work. You don't get to tell me what to do, how to do it, nothing. You get no say in it. You give me the money. I will get to work. That's kind of it. That's condition one. Condition two, my report is the final word on the matter. You don't get to rebut it. This isn't William Barr rebutting the Mueller report saying something <laughs> like, no, no, no. My report is the final word on the matter. You have to accept that. And that's before you even see it. Sure. Like, that's it. And they agreed to that. Third, third condition, the information will be made public either way. Maybe not immediately. It's not like she's going to suddenly post the PDF on her website uh-huh. and say, here you go. What she would do is say, here's my report. You can have it first because you're paying me for it. But like a week later, I'm going to post this publicly for everyone to see. And that'll give you enough time to be able to respond to anything I said. Mm, right. Which seems fair to me. But she said it'll be made public either way so that basically the museum cannot bury the truth of what she finds. And the Green family that owns the Museum of the Bible, they agreed to all of that. And she went on doing her research and they eventually posted the report that said, yeah, a bunch of this stuff is fake. Okay. Liberty University could easily do something like that. They could say, someone look into this. We will give you as much access as we have available. Uh, whatever you like decide and you have a someone who has an expertise in studying this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. you will get access to whatever we can give you. You can make this public because the goal of Liberty University is to make sure we are doing everything correctly, uh-huh. um, legally correctly anyway, ethically, whatever. They're a Christian school. They can do what they want. But like, that's all they have to do. And they didn't say any of that. And that should be concerning to everybody. Because, again, if Falwell is gone, that doesn't fix the problems until they have made it clear, like, nope, here's everything Falwell left behind, and we're purging that, too. Like, there's no way for the school to move on. And by the way, there are reports this week that even though Falwell's resigned, he is still calling up people at the school, basically getting information about what's going on and offering ideas about, like, what to do. Uh And the school had to issue, like, an email to everyone, like, we know Jerry is calling people. It puts us in an awkward position. Please don't tell him stuff. Oh, my God. He doesn't work here anymore. But it's not going to change unless Liberty actually takes this seriously. And there's no reason to think that's going on. Wow. Oh, that's wild. That is wild. Um, I mean, are there, do you foresee any like actual consequences for this besides for who? For, for, I guess for, I don't know. For Liberty University? For Jerry Falwell? Liberty University. I mean, Jerry Falwell, I think, is sort of a little bit fucked right now. But for Liberty University, like, no, he just watches it from the sidelines. Right. Do you think that all of this stuff happening is going to deter? the kind of people who would have chosen to go to Liberty University anyway? Because I sort of suspect Some, that. Again, the one thing they had going for them is this reputation of being this good Christian school. And mm-hmm. yeah, they're not trying to impress people like you and me, but they are trying to impress those Christians who say, you know, Liberty is the place we want to send our kids to. And when it becomes a laughing stock, 
like nationally. And it becomes an unethical den of hypocrisy, even um, in that Christian bubble. Mm -hmm. There's no shortage of Christian schools in the country. The sort of people who would send their kids to Liberty, if if you want to send your kids to a fundamental fundamentalist like Christian college, there are other options out there. Liberty is not the only game in town. It's just the one that's like most well-known, partly because of Falwell. Sure. So it's like, okay, well, if Falwell is gone, now you lost your biggest megaphone for the school. If all the black athletes, so many of them anyway, have decided to transfer out of Liberty because of Falwell's racism, mm-hmm. they no longer have a... You can't get on like a March Madness game and get publicity that way as they did a couple of years ago. Right. So like all of their best ways to reach out to people and therefore make money and hire people and whatever, they're losing it. The one thing they could still have is to say, we've cleaned house. Our reputation is solid. Come back and give us your tuition. If they don't have that, like, honestly, but even as a Christian, what do they have going for them at that point? Who knows? Yeah. Like, there's nothing. This is one thing they could do if they do it correctly. It's one thing they could do to, like, salvage whatever reputation they want. But they're not doing it right. Like, they're not doing it right even on their terms. Because, like, if the Hobby Lobby have an ethical uh, standard that you can't meet, there's a problem with you. Yeah, that's true. But I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just pretty skeptical that uh, that anybody actually cares. Like, I, I would just guess. I that- wish they cared. Yeah, I wish they cared more. Right. Remember, this is like uh, one of the parents said, hey, Falwell, you're bringing your, you're opening up Liberty in the midst of a pandemic. I have kids who go to Liberty right now. What a dummy. And he called him a dummy. Like if that's the reaction, then there's one parent who's like, all right, I'll look for other schools to send my kids to if I'm paying tuition. Sure. Yeah. So I, I mean, but I also think there is a big difference between the <laughs> the president of a university personally insulting you and some like legally murky things that have been going on, but you still have like a university name. Remember that we don't know what information they might find. If they find out tuition money is being paid for like legal settlements or Mm -hmm. Jerry Falwell's like, I don't know, giving tracts of land to his personal trainer with who knows what relationship that is. Uh Like who knows what they're going to discover that may be even more damning than the stuff we already know it's better to get in front of that information and they're not, they're not earning any accolades for how they're going about it yet. Sure. That's fair. Um, this here, I got a fun story that just hey. amused me. Uh, remember Jesse Lee Peterson? He's the uh, right wing radio host. He's black. And he is one of those self hating black people. Oh yeah. He says the world needs more white babies. He has praised white power. Yikes on bikes. Yeah. He said Representative John Lewis was evil. I'm wearing a John Lewis shirt right now. Look at you. Good good trouble. Necessary trouble. Good and good trouble. Or get in trouble. Good trouble. Necessary trouble. When I first got all of my... um, my unemployment back pay, I went to a bunch of black-owned Etsy shops and just, like, bought a bunch of shirts. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so Jesse Lee Peterson hates you. And one of the things he said during an episode of his radio show this week is, I'll, I'll quote it, I don't know why a man would marry a woman today, especially an educated woman, 
whether with the Bible or without the Bible, educated with secular education, dot, dot, dot. Because, quote, those women don't cook. They don't iron. They don't sew. They don't want to stay home and take care of the children. They don't want to make a meal. They don't want to cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's what they're supposed to be doing. First of all, he said cook like four different ways. So I really love <laughs> his rhetoric. Um, <laughs> second of all, I mean, whatever, dude. Like, fine. We don't want to fucking marry you anyway. Like, that's the thing about this whole thing. Like, oh, men shouldn't do this. Nobody cares what you think, my dude. And anybody who listens to you is not going to marry somebody who, I don't know, maybe has their bachelor's in literature from a (laughs) mid-level university in Indiana. (laughs) Here's where it gets even more amusing, because he kept talking, because he can't stop. There's more... Uh, after saying educated women don't make for good wives. Also, he, a very good cook. Go ahead. <laughs> what have you made lately? Um, I made. <laughs> what have I made lately? Nothing. <laughs> We've been ordering. You, so fucking lazy. No, I make Jesse a Lee really Peterson good, wants no, nothing listen, to do with I you. make a really good. It's like a it's a very like white Midwestern shit, but it's like a tamale casserole. So it's like a cornbread base. And then you put enchilada sauce and then shredded chicken and cheese and, um, and like cilantro. It's extremely good. There's half of it in my fridge right now because I don't know how to make food for fewer <laughs> than 12 people, apparently. Nice. <laughs> the last thing I made? <laughs> That's not great, is it, huh? He, so he kept talking. And here's what else he said is the problem with educated women. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to quote. If she's educated, even the sex is boring because you gotta, are you okay? Is this movement right? Am I working too fast here or too slow? You gotta talk them through it. So. (laughs) Unquote. (laughs) I'm sorry. Could you just read that again? I have. Go ahead. Let me annoy all listeners everywhere. Are you okay? Is this movement right? Am I working too fast here or too slow? You got to talk them through it. Basically saying, if you have sex with an educated woman, you might have to be concerned about what she wants. Yeah. At first, I thought he was getting at, like, educated women are harder to rape, which is a pretty big yikes. I don't think, yeah, Um, I don't think that's what he's getting at. But now it just sounds like he, like, none of the women he's ever had sex with have ever gotten off would be my, (laughs) would be my guess. Oh, my God. Like Because in his mind, like, the ideal relationship is one where, she has no say in this matter. Like, I am really enjoying. She's not worried about her pleasure. I am really enjoying imagining just like this guy having sex in utter silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Man, these men telling on themselves is so embarrassing. <laughs> and also, it's such a... Yeah, I kept, thinking, I kept thinking of Ben Shapiro being like, don't worry, my wife says wet ass pussy is not really a good thing. <laughs> it's also such a wild point of view that, like, the worst thing they can think of is, like, having to talk to a woman during sex. <laughs> <laughs> they can't handle it. They can't feel... <laughs> so like, do they not know how embarrassing that is? I I don't know. I have to think he gets some sort of feedback in his show. And I'm sure there are some Christians who are like, yes, right on. Because how else does he have this show? 
But I would argue that the people who listen to that probably are not given the uh, the space to discuss sex in a frank way. You know what oh, I mean? He didn't, like, he didn't have anybody on. No, no, no but I'm just like, when, talking. He gets, when he gets feedback, like yeah. women in this sort of culture are trained to be like either, um, no, sex is great. It's never been bad. No problems right, here. Right, right. Or sex isn't supposed to be pleasurable for women, <laughs> which is still pretty pervasive. And like, none of those are great, I would say. I had to look this up because I was so curious. I There's not a lot of information about his personal life anywhere online that I could find. And that's fine. I don't I don't care about his personal life. I think he is single for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. I, don't I don't know if that's I, true I or not. I can't imagine why. But yeah, I just want to point that out. Uh, let's Okay, we have uh, to talk about this issue that I started seeing on right-wing websites. And then the headlines I saw made me think something is there's a big problem. Here's, here's a headline that I saw on charisma, the Christian website, the Christian site. It said like California is, is trying to quote, soften penalties for LGBT sex with minors. It's like, they're trying to make it easier for gay people to like assault children that, I mean, yes, that sounds horrible. Like I too disagree with that. That sounds troubling. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this is charisma. They don't tell the truth. Yeah. So what's actually going on here? And so, okay, I want to tell you what I discovered. And I say discover like this was a big secret. It's not a secret (laughs) to anyone in California who actually knows what this law is all about. But, okay, here's the story. Uh, Here are a million trigger warnings because it's it's all about sexual assault and stuff. But here is the law they are talking about. Let me see if I can make sense of this. Feel free to interrupt me at any time here. I always do. Yeah. There is a, I mean, the law in California says uh, there's a thing called statutory rape. Uh, which is simply if you, an older person has sex with someone who's under age, right. even if it's not forcible, it's still illegal. Uh, there's a certain age gap. I think in California, it's three years difference and the person is underage. Okay. And the reason for these laws yeah. are that we have decided as a culture that somebody under the age of 18 cannot legally consent to sex with an older person because there is just too much the power dynamic is too off. So that's where it comes from. It comes from like saying you're in a, you cannot, even if a 14 year old says she wants to have sex with you, the onus is on, yeah, the onus is on you, the adult that to say, no, like you don't understand what, what consenting to this means to you. So anyway, go ahead. And so here's an issue that I, I'm giving a hypothetical here, but this is an issue that crops up. Let's say there's a senior in high school who starts dating a freshman in high school. Um, it's consensual as far as that goes. And now it's like, let's say two years later, he's 20, she's 16, and they get caught having sex. Well, that is statutory rape under the law. And what that means in California is that he has, there could be a jail sentence. There could be a financial penalty. Mm -hmm. And there's a question of whether this older person should be placed on the sex offender registry. Mm -hmm. And imagine if that person is placed on the sex offender registry, 
it's now going to become next to impossible to get a job. Sure. What if, what if the girl gets pregnant? Sure. Then it could be very hard to support her Mm -hmm. and the child. So maybe in certain cases, a judge may say, and this is what California law allows, the judge may say, you know what, in this particular case where this man has been convicted of statutory rape, Mm -hmm. I do not think he needs to be placed on the registry because, I mean, he's not a threat to society. Sure. This is a legal issue that we have already settled, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't need to have whatever the rest of his life ruined in this way. Okay. That is what the law currently allows in California, but there's a twist to that, which is that it only applies in the case of vaginal sex, older man, younger woman situation. And so, um, what happens if two people have oral sex or anal sex? Well, Mm -hmm. the law says that person is automatically on the sex offender registry. No judge gets to step in and take into consideration anything. And in practice, here's the problem. Now we're getting to the, to the meat of this debate. The problem with that is if a 20 year old man and a 16 year old girl, for example, um, get caught and the older man is convicted of statutory rape, there is this bit of leeway that a judge has in deciding whether he should go on the registry. Well, what if it's a 20 year old man and a 16 year old boy? Same mm-hmm. situation, but obviously they're they're not having vaginal sex. Right. Now, the older man who is convicted has no leeway. He is automatically going on the sex offender registry. So what one of the state senators, his name is Scott Weiner, he represents San Francisco. What he said is the law as it stands actually discriminates against gay men. Sure. Not that we want to make it easier for them to do any of this, but saying as it stands, if you're a straight man who gets convicted of this, to put it simply, there is a way out at least Mm -hmm. on this portion of the penalty Mm -hmm. in a way that does not apply to gay men caught for the exact same crime. Sure. So the California legislature house and Senate, they have passed a bill called SB 145. Um, It's just waiting for a signature from governor Gavin Newsom. And what it does is it basically says we are going to treat all of these cases the same way. So it doesn't basically it. uh, I don't think this is what the law literally does. But basically what it says is we used to say it only applies to cases of vaginal sex. No, it applies to whatever sex you had. Sure. Um, So. Uh, According to one article, I think this is in the San Francisco Chronicle, SB 145 would remove automatic sex offender registration for young adults who are convicted of having anal or oral sex with a minor, leaving the decision up to a judge. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the judge can say, all right, this person does not need to go on the sex offender registry, or maybe they do. It depends on the situation. Okay, so to me... That seems like a legit thing to do sure. um, in terms of equality. Like, why are we punishing gay men worse than straight men for the exact same crime? Right. Now, there is an argument to be made. And some Democrats have been making this argument that we're going in the wrong direction. Instead of offering any leeway to all people, 
We should not be offering any sort of leeway to any of these people. They committed statutory rape. They were convicted of it. Of course they should go on the sex offender registry. And that applies to gay men and straight men and all of that. Mm -hmm. That is the argument some people were making. They're saying you're trying to allow this leeway for everybody. Wrong direction. Let's make sure everyone goes on the sex offender registry. And honestly, like, I get that argument. There are arguments to be made that the registry itself has in California anyway, there are so many people on it that it becomes almost useless as a tool to help other people and yeah. protect the society. So, I mean, that's a separate debate though. The debate of let's get rid of this law altogether, giving judges this leeway. That's a separate debate. That's not what this bill is about. Right. Um, and to be clear, statutory rape, still a crime. As it stands, it can be charged as a misdemeanor or a felony. And Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with forcible rape, which is a separate category under the law, which anyone who commits that is automatically on the sex offender registry. So this is all about discrimination. This bill ends that discrimination and it just treats everyone the same way. Um, Okay, here's what I saw. Let me go back to Charisma News, their headline. This bill will soften penalties for LGBT sex with minors. Uh, I mean, they're not wrong. It's just they're not wrong. Honest way to phrase it. Exactly right. Dr. Michael Brown, another Christian writer, his headline was Did California legislators just vote to protect, in parentheses, gay adults who have sex with minors? As if, like, they're trying to make it easier for predators who are gay to get away with, like, yeah, you're right. It's intellectually it easy for too long. Yeah. Um, like, it's, you, you put it well, it's intellectually dishonest. And I've seen, I've started to see this more and more. Like, it's spreading within right-wing websites where they're basically implying that all of these legislators, those liberals in California are trying to make it easier for sex predators. And that's so not what's going on at all. I mean, I think this is a really good example of why, to me, intellectual dishonesty dishonesty is such a huge problem in our country right now and around the world. Because I think there is a legitimate discussion to be had about how the sex offender list works and is it effective and how can we make it more effective? And I agree shoving more people onto that list is probably not the answer. And I, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like I heard somewhere that like public urination counts, like you could end up on the sex offender mm. list because of that. Cause it's whatever. So if you're homeless, that makes it more yeah. likely you would be on there or something. Yeah. Um, and again, what you want on that list are these are people who may be threats. You want who, to know where they live if they live in your neighborhood. Threat to you, your family, your right. friends, whatever. So I think that is a conversation worth having. And I'm not I'm not researched on this, so I don't know exactly what the right answer to that is. But I can tell you that the answer isn't, well, Democrats want gay people to be able to have sex with children end of story like i I think this this sort of strain of intellectual dishonesty that that is prevalent that's prevailing on the right and the left like it's not it's not a one-party thing it makes it impossible to have any sort of good faith discussion because 
if I like, I think that the idea of like, like you said, a, a, a 17 year old and a 19 year old having sex, I do not think that that 19 year old then poses a threat to, to my community. But I also understand that it's a deeply gray area and I don't know what the right answer is, but, but like to say, to put it in such a simple phrase of we want people, gay men, gay women, whatever, to have easier access to children is not what we're doing. And I think they know that. And so I don't, I don't know how we can move forward with these discussions if only half of us are showing up to the table and saying, like, here's a solution we're trying to solve. Let's talk about it like fucking adults instead of flinging verbal shit at people. Yeah. (sighs) So it's you're going to see that story popping up, just so you're aware, uh, if you read those right wing websites. And I got one last one for you. I just found this uh, really interesting. There was a study that just got published in a journal called Public Administration Review, which I read religiously all the time. Uh, <laughs> but it was fascinating. for every... And there really is. There. <laughs> yes. Um, but here's what these researchers did. They wanted to see if there was any discrimination based on religion in public schools. Um, re- actually, what they wanted to see is if uh, what they called street level bureaucrats, basically government officials who don't get a lot of recognition as government officials, um, like yeah. principals. Oh, okay. So they're low level government workers, right, in public schools. And they wanted to know we've heard stories about, you know, discrimination from the government uh-huh. when it comes to religion, but what about low level? government administrations, uh, government officials. So they said, can we test to see if principles discriminate against people based on their religion? And how do you test that? And here's the ingenious way they came up with. What they did is they emailed the principles of about 45,000 schools in 33 states. Jesus. Yeah. So these are schools ranging from pre-kindergarten through 12th grade. And all of their emails were basically the same. Uh, They all said they were parents who wanted to enroll their kids in those schools, but they were hoping to get an in-person meeting with the principal before making a final decision. So, you know, would you consider meeting with us? And here's how they switched up all of these emails. So some of them, like whatever, there was a control group that just said, hey, our family wants to meet with you before we decide. Can we do that? Fine. There's your control group. Some of them. So at the bottom of these emails, they would include a quotation in the signature line. And one example of it is, atheism teaches that life is precious and beautiful. We should live our lives to the fullest, to the end of our days, dash Richard Dawkins. And then they other emails they sent said the exact same thing, but it said like Catholicism teaches that life is precious and beautiful, oh, dot, 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 signed Pope Benedict, or... Uh, 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 Christianity signed Billy Graham or Islam like, signed Muhammad. Yeah, okay. All four of those and only those four. So that was one version that Interesting. some principles That's got. really smart. So that's, we'll call that a low intensity request because like it's kind of subtle that they make their religion known. You know what sure. I'm saying? Sure, sure, sure. But then there were also some people got medium intensity requests where they added one line in the email that said, one of the reasons we would like to meet with you is that we are raising our child to be a good atheist and wanted to make sure this would be possible at your school. Hmm. So now they're 
and or they said to be a good Catholic or to be a good Muslim. And they also sent that. And then they had the high intensity requests, which also said, here's what that uh, middle passage said. One of the reasons we'd like to meet with you is that we are raising our child to be a good atheist and we want to protect him or her from anything that runs counter to our beliefs. We want to make sure this would be possible at your school. And they did that for all four religious groups once again. And what they did is after sending these, how many different versions of the emails is that like 12 or 16, whatever it was with a control group in there. Yeah. Yeah. And so they sent all these out and they said, let's see what the response rate is from principals who say like, will the principal just say, yeah, sure. I'll meet with you. Let's set something up. And then the family would ghost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And here's what they found for a uh, low intensity request, just the signature line at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Atheists and Muslims got a much lower rate of response. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. For the medium intensity where they just said, we want to raise them to be a good atheist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Atheists got a much lower response than all three other groups. And for the high intensity request, atheists got the same very low response relative to the others. Interesting. Yeah. And like they said, the difference is statistically and substantively meaningful. Mm-hmm. And again, if you want to see numbers specifically, I'll put that in the show notes. But what was amazing is like, they didn't say we want to like raise hell for you. Principals are like, oh shit, this is going to be trouble. I'm just not going to respond to this. And they basically... Yeah, I'm going to be honest. If I got those high intensity emails, I would move that to spam immediately. (laughs) (laughs) That does not sound like a game I want to play. And again, there are any number of limitations to using this particular type of experiment. Like, is, is an email that says, you know, I want to meet with you, really the best way to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would kind of expect neutrality because that's what the principal's job requires at a public school. Sure. What the researchers said is religious discrimination is sizable and systemic. Acknowledging this fact alone is an important first step for administrators hmm. uh, to take. So, like, use it as a starting point. It's not the final word on anything, but uh, interesting to think about, if nothing else. That's really interesting. Not... Again, not surprised. Yeah. As ever. But do you know who had the highest response rate for, especially for the high intensity ones? Protestants and Catholics were roughly equal. I, uh, Protestants had the highest rate of response in the medium and high retens, uh, intensity requests. Okay. And uh, when it came to just the signature line at the bottom, uh, Catholics had a slightly higher response rate, but it's meaningless statistically. So basically, all the Christians. Like, I think the principals may have been either used to it or they're like, yeah, I've dealt sure. with your kind before. It's all fine, whatever. So they got a higher rate. But the Muslims and the atheists were like, oh, shit, they're going to stir up trouble. And I don't oh, want to respond to it. I Interesting love- study. Would love to see more like it, but we'll see. Yeah, it's so brilliant that they used the exact same quote and just attributed it to yeah. to different. Like, I, that's so, so smart. Cool. I'm done. I, oh, I, done? I, I'm talked out. I <laughs> didn't have any stories this week because I'm not good at podcasting. Uh, what are you? It's Labor Day weekend. What are you up to, bud? God, I haven't even thought about that. Child was up all night last night, so we're. Oh, yeah. I'm still recovering. Yeah, I know. My dog really kept me up, <laughs> so she. Uh, yeah, we're basically living the same life. I'm at the point where I want to go on a vacation that is mostly everyone else just leaving my house. <laughs> 
Um, actually, so Mikey's and my um, five year anniversary is coming up. Hey. Um, and we decided to, because we've done nothing during quarantine. We haven't gone out to eat. Like we've gotten like takeout and stuff like yeah. that, but we've done nothing. Like we just finally saw my parents for the first time <laughs> like two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and apparently in Southern Illinois, there's like a little wine country, I guess. Yeah. And okay. we found a, a place that is dog friendly and a bunch of the wineries are, are dog friendly and like they're sort of picnic style. So you get your tastings or whatever, and then you like have a picnic and eat your food and drink your wine. Okay. So we're going to do that. And I still feel really uncomfortable, like not uncomfortable with it. Cause but you're guilty. going out. Yeah. But, like guilty about it. It's we've established like, this is the safest we know how to be, but you know, while still leaving our house for the first time in, six months or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, that so sounds nice. Yeah. I'm really excited to not be in this fucking house for like a yeah. minute. Have fun. Yeah. Oh, and it's spooky season. So we're having a scary movie marathon tonight. <laughs> not having oh. kids is giving me a lot of liberties. Hammond. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I, I hear you completely. Um, <laughs> total sign up uh, for podcast. Patreon subscribers, there was a bonus episode that I posted last week. It's an interview with Seth Andrews uh, of the oh. Thinking Atheist podcast about his new book, where he talks about how he grew up, not just a conservative Christian, but a Fox News conservative Christian, and how he left that. And it'll go on the main feed sometime next week. But if you are a Patreon subscriber uh, to our podcast, you have access to that right now. Did he not want to talk to me or That's exactly what he said? Yes. So I said, don't worry. I got this covered. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, Oh, speaking of Patreon. Hey, if you've upgraded or something and haven't received a sticker from us, apparently certain people whose last name is meta have not been doing a good <laughs> job of keeping up. I at try that. so hard. Um, so just let us know and we'll, we'll yes. send you out whatever. Um, Where anything- do we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Blueberry, B-L-U-E-B-U-R-I-E. Um, if you want to hear more from me in a non-atheist context, uh, I co-host with my husband a different podcast called Cooper Duper. It's a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people where we are re-watching Twin Peaks. Um, we just got through like the really good part of season two and we're about to enter the dreg. So I'm looking into like bringing guests on because... Ooh, there's going to be some rough episodes coming up. Um, so there's that. And if you want, Oh, I also have an Etsy shop, bitches got stitched done. I know it's only, um, September, but if you are looking for something for Christmas, I usually cut it off December 1st at the latest because I hand make everything and it takes four fucking ever. Um, so yeah, if that's something you're interested in, Hemant, where can we find you, bud? You can find me at Hemant Meta on Twitter. Go to FriendlyAtheist.com. Go to mm-hmm. YouTube, Friendly Atheist. You could find my videos. Yeah, you can look at Hemant's face like I have to every time I yes. talk to him. <laughs> and his dead shark's eyes. <laughs> yes. Done. Okay, well, have a good long weekend. We'll and, see you soon. Um, talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.